What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast. Well, the Tigers did it, baby. They are back in Omaha as they sweep Kentucky in the Super Regionals. And they move on to the College World Series to face Tennessee Saturday night, Game 2. So in this episode, I will give you a couple of thoughts and some key moments from Games 1 and 2 in the Super Regionals. How did I do on my get right, stay right list predictions? And then finally, what are the three big things that I learned from this weekend? As a quick reminder, you can find all the content on YouTube. Also, this will be available in podcast form on all major audio platforms. And then finally, check me out on Twitter at 60FT6IMLSUPod. So let's get into it. With these two wins, the Tigers move to 48-15 and 15 on the season. As I mentioned, it will be a rematch versus the Volunteers as Tennessee finally gets past Southern Miss and the Southern, uh, excuse me, in their Super Regional in Hattiesburg. And they will be in the same bracket as Wake Forest and Stanford, as those guys finally got rid of Texas in their Super Regional. So game one, LSU defeats Kentucky by a score of 14 to nothing. And it was an absolute butt whooping. LSU dominated these guys from start to finish. Yes, this may become to known as the weather game. I was there just like most of you. I was there, then I wasn't. And I went back and I was there. And finally, I just said, screw it. It was like 9 o'clock. I didn't know if the game was going to start or not. Lo and behold, I come home, watch the game on TV. But hats off to everybody that stayed around. That place looked like it was an electric atmosphere. And, you know, it's one of those things where people complained about the weather. What was LSU trying to do? All these different things were going around on social media. But in the end, one team showed up and one team didn't. And trust me, Kentucky didn't sit around at the field. And they weren't hanging out like they were in high school. Those dudes hopped back on the bus and they went back to the hotel for that very, very long rain delay. And it was just a complete laser show from the beginning to the end. And the box was rocking. And, uh, you know, it was really nice to see LSU and the bats come alive. And you really saw their power stroke come back to it as they hit six home runs on the night. They also bang out 15 hits versus Kentucky's pitching. And as we mentioned in the preview podcast, Kentucky doesn't have anybody that's really, really dominant, except for Mason Moore. And he was on a dominant streak, and he pitched in game two. But in game one, Zach Lee, sinker, changeup, slider. But you really felt like once LSU figured him out and it didn't take very long, or once he got any one of those three pitches up in the zone, he was going to get hammered because he was about 90 to 92, really nothing special. And LSU had seen him earlier in the year as well. But Trey Morgan, he hits two home runs. He hits a home run in the first, and then he hits a home run in the third. Tommy Tanks, not to be outdone, he hits two home runs himself. He hits one in the third and one in the sixth. Gavin Dugas, we all know he's been battling injuries since the previous Kentucky series. So it was nice. He hits an absolute bomb to left center. He hits that one in the fourth. And then finally, Josh Pearson who has really asserted himself at the bottom of the lineup. And I told you in a preview podcast, he's like a glue guy. Throw his stats out the window. The dude takes good ABs. He usually goes deep in counts. He's not afraid to get hit, and he's got some pop as well. He just kind of does the right things you want to see a baseball player do from a hitting perspective. But Pearson gets a bomb in the fifth. On the night, Trey Morgan goes four for five. He single-handedly had just as many hits as the whole Kentucky lineup. The Tigers score in six of eight offensive innings. And to see those hitters come out like that after the back and forth uh, delay, you know, you kind of get up, 
you get down, you get ready, you get down. It's almost like hurry, wait, hurry. You know, that's kind of the old adage in baseball. And it was just impressive. And to open a super regional like that on home, at home against a team that really gave you all you wanted uh, early in the year in Baton Rouge was just a, a great way to start off the weekend. Also, another fact, earlier in the year, LSU, I believe, banged out 12 two-out RBIs versus Kentucky. I think that was in the first matchup as well. And not to be outdone, LSU had seven two-out RBIs on the night. But that was really it from a hitter's perspective. It was home run derby. That's how they scored. They looked great. A ton of people got in the act. But on the pitching side of things, we all know it was Paul Skeen's day, baby. And he was he was himself. He was absolutely dominant. And I discussed on the preview pod how in the earlier meeting this year in Baton Rouge, Kentucky hitting probably a, a lot better than other teams except for, um, I would say, South Carolina. But also you got to take into account when Kentucky started hitting them, LSU was up 14-1 to one after three innings. He left his fastball up in that outing, so he went to a ton of breaking balls. But in this outing, you saw Skeens. It was just the whole repertoire was on um, was front and center. He was 101 and 102 in the first couple of innings with his fastball. The breaking ball, whether it was the curveball or the slider, was on all night. And you really saw Kentucky take a very aggressive approach kind of similar to what Arkansas did in the SEC tournament where they stayed on the fastball. Kentucky just kind of came out swinging, and it was really helped Skeens out, right? It kept his pitch count down. He didn't have a lot of strikeouts through the first three or four innings before he got going. And to me, and I'm sure he was the same way, he's like, look, if you want to swing, swing, because I have my dominant stuff tonight, and you're not going to hit me. And you could tell early on that Skeens was on, and he was in the zone with all three pitches, and he was just dominant, bottom line. On the night, Skeens' line – Seven and two-thirds innings pitched, four hits, one walk, nine Ks on 101 pitches. So just check out Skeen's line for the year. And I hope all LSU fans, whether or not you got to see him pitch in person this year, which was phenomenal. I had a chance to do that several times, and it was truly uh, – it was awesome, to be honest. And hopefully y'all got a chance to see him pitch a lot this year on TV. I just don't know if you're going to see another year from a single season perspective, like you saw from Paul Skeens this year in the LSU uniform ever again, or possibly in the, in the NCAA ever again, when I give you his stats for the year up until this point before he pitches in the college world series. Skeens is 12 and two with a 1.77 ERA, 107 innings pitched, 65 hits. He has 188 Ks in 107 innings pitched. By far and away, leads the country in that um, category. He only has 18 walks to go along with his 188 strikeouts, and his batting average against is 170. It has been an absolute freak show on Friday and Thursday nights this year as Skeens just took the ball, wearing the traditional purple jerseys. That's what he likes to pitch in. He's got the leggings up high. He's got the old-school look. He walks off the mound. He puts his hat backwards. He shows the headband. You know, he's got the stash going. He's just, uh, man, he's just been awesome to watch this year. True pleasure. A tip of the hat to you, Paul Skeens. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wins the Golden Spikes ahead of his teammate, Dylan Cruz, and also over Jack Caglione from Florida. To back up Skeens as he gets a much-deserved, uh, a well-earned standing ovation from the packed Tiger crowd at Alec Box Stadium. Blake Money comes in, does his job. He throws the final one and a third innings pitch, doesn't give up a hit. And you see Money do some good things at the end of the year. 
he really struggled at the beginning of the year, gave up a lot of home runs. It looks like he's turned a little bit of a corner. And uh, whenever he's been called on lately, it feels like he's done a good job. And that's really it for game one, right? It was just the home runs and schemes. Not a whole hell of a lot to say besides that. Moving on game two, a little bit more of a discussion to get into. LSU defeats Kentucky by a score of 8-3. to three. And I told you all in the preview podcast that I felt like one of these games was going to be close. And this one was really it right up until the end, until LSU pulled away in the ninth inning. So to me, that was just a mark of a good team and something that you've seen LSU kind of continue to develop in throughout the year. Uh, you can't boat race every team you play. You can't wax people 14 to nothing. You can't expect that every time you step across those white lines. So LSU has really learned to win games in uh, different ways throughout the year. And I think this is going to make them very well equipped if they go on to handle the pressures that is Omaha. Once again, I thought Ty Floyd, I thought he looked good early on. I thought it was similar to the Oregon State outing before the rain got him. I thought he had good stuff. He just was inefficient with his pitches when he got to two strikes. He had trouble putting guys away, and that really drove up his pitch count once again. I was at the game. I was in standing Raleigh. I was behind the plate. And uh, it's, it's relatively easy to see um, fastballs in terms of location, in and out. And you can get a good idea if they're up. Uh, with regards to how Travinsky or Malazzo catches the ball. The tough thing from that angle is to see what Ty Floyd's breaking ball looked like. So I struggled with that. And it seemed that was an issue for him throughout this outing is that, you know, a couple of them slipped out of his hand early. He hung a couple for some home runs. I went back and watched the highlights. His breaking ball just didn't look sharp on the day. That could have been a number of things. It could have been the heat and the humidity. Uh, maybe the ball just didn't feel right in his hand. And sometimes with the breaking ball, kind of like a changeup, you just don't have a very good feel for that pitch that day. And that just seemed to be the issue with Ty um, in game two. But in the end, I think, look, Floyd's going to battle. He usually takes a while to get settled in. He gives up three solo home runs. He fought through a couple of jams. And uh, solo home runs typically don't beat you, right, unless you lose a game like two to one or three to one. And that's the only runs that you give up. But he gave you essentially what you needed in that day. He allowed LSU to kind of come back and get the lead. He allowed uh, LSU to maintain that lead, and he held the lead for his teammates. And um, in terms of the solo home runs, two of them were to lead off innings. And look, when I pitch, if I'm going to give up a home run, I'd rather be the first batter of the game. That way I can step off, I can reset, I can stay in the windup, and nobody's on base, right? So to me, it's just, uh, you know, the guy hits it over the fence, I get a new ball, I step off, reset mentally, and I get right back at it. In terms of... Um, Floyd's line on the day, uh, you know, he goes three and a third innings pitch. He gives up the home runs. He had a couple walks, not a, not a lot, a couple of strikeouts. And, uh, but to me, the story of the day was the bullpen. And we've talked about the pen the last couple of weeks. I felt more and more confident in the bullpen. And you saw Raleigh Cooper and Gavin Guidry really continue to get in postseason form. And it's not just those two, right? It's Ackenhausen, it's Herring, it's Hurd. He's kind of got a flex role. He can do a number of different things. And then it's Coleman. Those are the guys who really trust moving forward. But Coop was phenomenal once again, just like he was against Oregon State in game three. Uh, I love Coop when he comes in, right? He works quick. He throws strikes. He makes sure the other team puts the ball in play. Like he challenged them in the zone to make sure they need to swing it or they're going to end up uh, striking out. He doesn't walk a lot of people. And I felt like the game was really dragging before him and the Kentucky reliever Mason Moore kind of came in, right? Kentucky's pitcher was struggling with his control, just like Ty Floyd. There was a lot of 3-2 counts, walks, hits. It felt like guys were on every inning. 
And uh, it was like an hour and a half, and the game was already in the fourth inning. I mean, not – I mean, it was just dragging, bottom line. It was hot. But once Coop came in and Moore came in, the game kind of really sped up after that. Coop had it all working. He had the fastball. He had the breaking ball. He had the changeup. Uh, the changeups really come along for him this year. On the day, Coop goes three innings pitch, two hits, one walk, two Ks. He throws up a bunch of zeros, which is important because, as I mentioned, Mason Moore was um, really holding – LSU's lineup is bay, at bay as he threw up a ton of zeros for the Wildcats as well. Gidry then comes in to replace Cooper in the seventh. And look, the freshman continues to impress. I didn't know if he was going to finish the game because Ackenhausen and Hurd got up in the eighth and they got hot. But uh, Gidry really didn't get in any trouble. And the trouble he did get in, he worked out of. And then once LSU got those, got those runs in the ninth, as I've heard Jay Johnson say, and I completely agree, you just leave him in. You let him finish it. If something crazy happens, Ackenhausen and Hurd are ready to come in to get one or two outs, whatever you needed in the night. But in terms of uh, Gidry, the breaking ball continues to be nasty. It's a very good pitch by now. Obviously, everybody knows he's going to throw that pitch about 70% of the time. But it was really nice to see Wes Johnson call some fastballs to kind of keep Kentucky hitters off balance. And Gidry was able to deliver those for strikes on the day. Gavin goes two and two-thirds innings pitched, one hit, four Ks. He does a really good job of uh, pounding the zone. He's able to throw the breaking ball with two strikes. He's able to throw it in three, two counts. The dude just really doesn't care. You know, I tweeted out that Gidry's got that dog in him, and he just he's not a freshman anymore. It seems like he's continued to kind of break through different pressure barriers on the year. He succeeded in the SEC in high-leverage situations. He's uh, – now succeeded in a super regional in very high leverage situations. So I think he'll have, once he gets settled in Omaha, once he gets a, a couple of pitches under his belt, I would imagine whenever he's called on in Omaha, he'll settle there as well. All for a dude who didn't even think he was going to pitch this year and who more than likely is going to be the starting shortstop next year. And no, I do not think he's going to pitch next year. But uh, Gavin Guidry, You've been a stud this year, and, and you've really stepped up big time with Chase Shores and Garrett Edwards getting hurt. So on the hitting side of things, it was very different than what we saw from the previous night when it was just a, a home run derby, you know, and hats off to Mason Moore. As I've mentioned, he came in with 10 innings scoreless in the uh, regional, and he threw really, really well, again, to keep LSU from really running away with it in game two. But the Tigers score one in the second on a Cruz RBI fielder's choice. But the big blow comes in the third with a K. Beloso two-strike, three-run home run. But LSU is not done in the third. As get this, this is really not surprising if you listen to the podcast or if you've really paid attention to the way LSU hitters go about their business this year. After Beloso's three-run home run, LSU draws three straight, two-out walks. And in all three of those walks, the count was 3-2 at the time of their walks. Really, really impressive by that lineup. Tommy White drives in a run with an infield single with basically a swing and bunt that he beats out um, by a step. And then the Tigers go quiet, right? Moore silences the Tigers lineup for five innings. Uh, the bullpen is doing their job, but LSU finally pulls away with a three spot on the ninth on the back of a, um, a Dylan Cruz two RBI double. And I was really shocked that Nick Mangione didn't walk Cruz because they had second and third right there after a wild pitch scores a run with bases loaded and I really wondered deep down I don't I just don't know if an opposing coach would do this you can let me know if I'm crazy on this you know do you think he had just a, a bunch of respect for Cruz 
I don't think he finishes the. I don't think he thinks the game's over, right? An opposing coach is not going to think a game is really ever over. But do you think he wanted to give Cruz the respect that he deserved? One of the best players in the country, one of the best players in LSU history, to say, you know what? We're going to pitch to you right here. If you hit us, you hit us. We're not going to get. We're not going to walk you. It would have been Cruz's fifth walk on the day. You know, him and Jay Johnson, as you probably heard or read, they're best friends. As much as LSU's fans don't like the way he goes about his business. You know, Jay Johnson has a ton of respect for him. He doesn't like to play him. They talk in the offseason. And uh, I just wonder if it was a tip of the cap to Cruz and to Jay Johnson, his friend, to say, you know what? We're going to pitch to you right here. That's how much we respect you. And it would show more respect probably if we walked you. But you know what? This is your last day being out of Box Stadium. So, look, you're going to hit it. You're going to go out in style and do what you're going to do, young man. And Cruz delivered, right? He ends his career with a double. and um. I loved his celebration, right? He was pumped. He picked up his jersey. He flashed the Tigers. He underlined the Tigers. And it was just, uh, that was kind of a, a, a um, gave you uh, chill bumps watching that. And when he pumped, when he just put his hands underneath the Tigers and, and uh, you know, pimped out the LSU on his jersey, well, the Tigers on his jersey. I don't want to get banged on Twitter for saying the wrong thing. Uh, that was really, really cool, man. To me, that was just like, look, we're here. We're a team. We won this damn thing, and we're going to go to Omaha and cause some trouble. So tip of the hat to Cruz, and look, that was the end. The hitters came through when they need to. They got the lead early. They uh, pounced on an opportunity late. That's what this team does. And um, look, LSU wins the game 8-3 and packs their bags for Omaha right back to where they belong in the College World Series. All right, moving on. What are the three big, three big things that I learned from this weekend? First thing, the lineup continues to impress. It's deep. They can hit you with power. They can uh, beat you with walks. They can beat you with hit by pitch. We saw Gavin Dugas. That dude continues to have a target on his back this year. That poor guy. I, I, I mean, it looks like I'm sure it looks like he got in a brawl after every weekend, all the bruises he has. But they can beat you in a number of ways, and you need that when you go to the College World Series, right? You need that to get to the point in the season. You just can't be a one-trick pony. You can't just uh, – bunt everybody to death you can't just rely on the home run extensively although this is kind of a gorilla ball era omaha is different than when i play there the ball doesn't fly out the yard as much so lsu has continued to evolve and gotten better as the year goes on in terms of beating teams different ways look lsu is hitting 314 as a team and that is post super regional they only have three regular starters below 300 dugas is at 288 thompson at 273 and Pearson at 252, but you know what I you know what I've told you to do with Pearson, and it actually feels like he's hitting better than that. You have eight guys in this lineup with double-digit home runs. Well, eight counting Jared Jones, who's kind of uh, taking on a reserve role, um, so he's in that as well. But you got Morgan with nine home runs now, and so the potential to have nine guys with double-digit home runs in this lineup, I don't think it's been done since 1998. <clears throat> Pat on the back there, although I didn't hit a home run. The Tigers also have the six most walks in the country at 367. And when we look at the teams that are going to be in the College World Series, the only team that has more walks than LSU is Wake Forest. So the lineup is deep. It's impressive. Mangione alluded to that in the postgame presser for Kentucky is that, you know, you know, you just can't take a breath, right? Even though uh, there's always going to be guys that struggle, right? Joe Bear struggled this weekend. But when you got Pearson in nine hole and he can roll it over, you got Thompson who can hit the ball. Uh, out the yard in the eight hole. It's just a really, really deep lineup, and that's tough for opposing pitchers. 
the second big thing that I learned this weekend, I've been talking about it on the pod for several weeks now. Look, and I'm kind of reiterating myself here, but you got to trust the pin at this point. They showed out once again in game two to get to Omaha, and they will, I think they will be a benefit. And I think they're a strength of this team moving on to the College World Series. And I'm a believer, I'm a believer, and I hope y'all are as well. I've mentioned before, and it's kind of held true the last couple of weeks, you only need four to five arms in the regional and super regional. And look, if you stay in the winner's bracket in Omaha, you only need four to five pin arms to get you into the championship series, all right? Because the biggest factor with LSU is you got schemes, right? LSU's starting pitching staff is not like Wake, where you got three guys that can go nine innings, and uh, they may not lean on their pin as much, okay? But you only need four to five guys that I've mentioned, and that's that's really kind of what they settled on uh, as you've paid attention, right? It's Cooper, it's Ackenhausen, it's Herring, it's Guidry. It's heard because he has a big role to play with this team, although he didn't throw this weekend because LSU didn't need him. In Omaha, Hurd could play a massive role with his ability to extend, his ability to start games. And he just kind of has that flex role. And we haven't seen Javen Coleman pitch in a while, but he can also help you out out of the pen to get lefties out. And he could even start a game in Omaha if you need him to. And I realize that this is a lefty-heavy bullpen, but look, it's been working. And I hate the fact that people don't think – or coaches sometimes don't think lefties can get righties out. Cooper's obviously proved that this year. So I'm good rolling with these guys in Omaha. And the other thing about these four guys is that they can all extend to a certain amount, right? Hurd and Cooper will get you the most, but it's not like Ackenhausen can only do one inning. Ackenhausen can definitely get you three innings. So that's the other thing. They all offer uh, something different. Now, the, all the lefties are very similar. They're all fastball slider guys. They're all 90 to 93, but um, so they're very similar in terms of that respect. But I think the fact that you can get them all up to about 60 pitches is very beneficial moving forward. Lastly, what is the third big thing that I learned this weekend? So to me, regardless of what happens in Omaha, this season is an absolute success, and I would give it an A grade right now. So hear me out, okay? The goal was to get to Omaha. Excuse me. And as y'all know by now, once you get to Omaha, right, all bets are off. You never know what's going to happen up there in terms of a lot of these teams are first-time participants, right? You have Oral Roberts. You have uh, Wake Forest. This group of LSU guys, except for um, three guys, right, Cooper, Collins, and Little have never been to the College World Series. Um, Oral Roberts, you know, uh, just just a different group that um, – so you just don't know how the pressure is going to affect each team. But so hear me out. So a grade for this season. And this is why you have laid the foundation for the future. So it's much harder to get to the college. It's much harder to get the college world series now than when I was playing. Okay, I think everybody would admit that. But now you have returning players that are going to have experience. They're going to know what it takes to get to Omaha. You have young freshmen. They got a ton of experience. They know what it takes in terms of mindset, in terms of work ethic, in terms of what it's going to take in the offseason to get where they want to be at the end of the year. They can also pass this knowledge down to future players. And look, that's how it happened in the 90s with Skip, okay? You have to learn how to win, first of all. Then you got to learn how to win the SEC. Then you have to learn to win in the postseason and eventually learn to win a game in Omaha. And that knowledge gets passed down for every team that goes there, for every returning player that starts, you know, next season, 2024, for the new recruits or transfers. They will set the standard in terms of work work ethic and mindset because they know where they want to be at the end of the year and they know how to get there, okay? 
The young guys will be very hungry next year, knowing it's their time to step up. Older players have moved on due to the draft or they've graduated and exhausted their eligibility. So they will in turn become leaders and they're going to set the table for additional transfers moving forward. As Jay brazenly said on the broadcast in game one, there's no other place like the box out there. Uh, it was rocking. So any transfers watching this game, feel free to uh, basically hit me up, contact me. And uh, if you want to experience something like this in your playing career. And that's going to be hard to turn down if Jay Johnson and the others come calling for transfer portal guys, right? Um, you know, if they're established players, they've seen the atmosphere on TV. They've seen the uh, talent that comes to LSU. They've seen the coaching staff. They've seen the facilities. You've seen the support. Now you have NIL money. That's a hell of a competitive package to present not only to high school kids, but to recruits in the portal, somebody that can help fill out your roster who can make an immediate impact. And look, they're going to continue to recruit at a high level. Jay Johnson's already done that, but it's going to continue with the success of this team, right? You're going to get a ton of exposure in the College World Series. Um, ESPN loves LSU. There's no doubt about that. You're going to get the airtime. Hopefully you get some wins. You're going to get uh, shots of the fans in the stadium and the support at the College World Series. You're going to see crews and tanks and schemes be put on full display during the broadcast. So, um, it's going to be phenomenal moving forward for LSU uh, in terms of recruiting. And look, I think one of the cool things that Jay is doing that was key to Skip in the 90s is that he recognizes, just like football, right, you have to get key talent and the best talent from Louisiana. That's how you build this program. And then you can pick and choose who you want from around the country. People in this state have a true love for this LSU baseball program. It's absolutely unsurpassed. And so you look at guys – that are the foundation for this program that are upperclassmen, right? Dugas, Beloso, Travinsky, Morgan, uh, Pearson, Gidry, Joe Bear. And then you have the young guys as well. You know, you got Ethan Fry. You have some guys that uh, redshirted this year. So, and there are going to be more kids coming in um, in this next recruiting class and on. So, in my opinion, to cap it off, regardless of whatever happens in Omaha, uh, I don't think they're going to go two and Q, but if they do, you got to give this season an A for the reasons I just mentioned. All right, wrapping up here on the 60 Feet 6 Inches podcast, how did I do on my get right, stay right list? Get right, I had Gavin Dugas, and I think that was a hit. Dugas goes two for six on the weekend with a home run and three hit by pitches, and he scored two runs as well. Trey Morgan, he definitely got right this weekend. That was a massive hit for your boy. Trey goes five for nine, which is good for 555. He had two home runs and a double. And then finally on the get right list, Tommy Tank. He kind of struggled the weekend before, but he hit this weekend. Tanks goes four for 11 with two home runs, four RBIs, and that is good for a 364 batting average. In terms of the stay right list, Thatcher heard a miss or a push. He just didn't have a chance to pitch this weekend. Uh, Hayden Chervinsky, I will call that a miss. Probably the first off weekend he's had in a while. And unfortunately, they didn't get to play game three. So who knows if he would have broken out in game three. But Chervinsky goes one for seven on the weekend. And then finally, the man, Dylan Cruz, he absolutely stayed right this weekend. He was three for six, four walks, three RBIs, and that was a hit on the stay right list. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of the 60 Feet 6 Inches podcast as I reviewed the LSU Super Regional versus Kentucky. Up next, well, I'm going to be honest, I don't really know what's up next. So um, there's definitely going to be a College World Series game preview. I was slated to go to Omaha, 
Uh, I really thought they were going to play in the Friday uh, bracket. I booked a bunch of things uh, about a week and a half ago, just guessing. And then um, things, they've moved now to the Saturday bracket. So work, the job that pays the bills may be getting away on that. So uh, stay tuned. I'll let you all know on Twitter for additional details what's going to happen on the podcast. But as always, I really appreciate you all tuning in. Like, subscribe, comment to the video. Uh, check me on Twitter. The account is at 6DFT, 6INLSUPod. And as always, you can find this podcast on Google, Spotify, and all the major audio platforms. So until next time, as always, y'all stay safe. And God damn it, go Tigers in Omaha, baby. Let's go.